welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, we're coming up to Thanksgiving, and um, interestingly that uh, November is uh, a time when we are supposed to be remembering and honoring veterans with Veterans Day and actually the whole month. Um, And, you know, when you sit around your Thanksgiving table... And hopefully, you know, you will do play the game, (laughs) serious game, of everybody talks about what they are most thankful for on this particular Thanksgiving. That's a good way to get, it's a conversation starter, and it's also a way to get people into the mood. You know, it's not just, it's not supposed to be, (laughs) it's not supposed to be about shopping. I can't believe it makes me so angry when stores have been opening earlier and earlier, even on Thanksgiving. It's a time to be thinking about all the things that you are thankful for. And um, one of the things that sometimes gets overlooked, even with this being November being uh, time to honor veterans, are the veterans who are no longer at the Thanksgiving table, not because they're away in the Middle East or some other place, but because they have given their life in service to their country. So today, um, my guest is George Lutz. He is the founder of Honor and Remember, and he will be telling you all about that. Um, he is a Gold Star family. His family is a Gold Star family. He will describe what that is, too. And he is on this amazing, amazing quest, has been for years, to help people, help uh, there be a proper remembrance for an honor, an honor and remembrance for um, the veterans and the families, the families of veterans who are not here, who have given their lives. And, of course, this was uh, the, his brainchild after his own son, Tony, was killed in Iraq. So, George, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Appreciate you uh, having uh, me on. And let's start with, because as I was telling you before we came on the air, I went to your website, um, which of course I'll give out to people. Um, I went to the website and I was most interested, I mean maybe this is just me as a psychiatrist, you know, wanting <laughs> to know the feeling part of things, but um, I was most interested in reading the story of your son, reading about your son, not just his death, but, um, but who he was, and seeing a picture of him, and uh, that was not there, so I would like you to give my listeners a picture of who he was, from the time he was a little boy, not just from when he <laughs> uh, joined the military. <laughs> well, uh, if you would have dug just a little bit deeper, you might have found that video that had kind of a synopsis of his whole life. Ah, well, but, okay. <laughs> I'll share that with you well, off, uh, off air. Okay, but maybe Tony, we can give people the link to it. Yeah. But tell us, but that wouldn't help us now. So tell us, tell us about him. Uh, Tony was just this fun-loving kid. He was my second child of five, my first boy, and he was just this fun-loving kid that just enjoyed life. He enjoyed engaging with people. Uh, he was a very, very special. In that regard, um, I like to say that he couldn't walk into a room without leaving and you knowing his name. I mean, he was just that mm-hmm. engaging. You know, as he was growing up, he was very interested in a lot of things. In particular, he was very uh, sports-oriented. So even at the young age of uh, 10 years old, he began kind of a uh, cross-country uh, career, if you will, and would run 5Ks and and, uh, and longer runs all through uh, his life. He played baseball, and not that he was, uh, you know, focused on athletics, but he really just enjoyed in engaging with people. And, uh, and so that was, that was how he lived his life. Uh, you know, he got in 
little bit of trouble as he Wait, wait, where did he grow up? Yes, where did he uh, grow, grow up? In the uh, Hampton Roads area of Virginia. Uh, okay. It's in Norfolk, uh, Virginia Beach area. Uh, uh-huh. So, you, you were uh, starting to say he got into a little trouble? Oh, he'd get into trouble as, you know, young men do. You know, uh, pushing the boundaries of, of the rules, so to speak, especially in his high school. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and decided that he was going to go off to college. And as I say, he was very engaging. He was very um, interested. He had a sales me- mentality, a salesmanship uh-huh. mentality. And when he went off to school, uh, he was in college for about two years and then said, uh, Dad, I think I can make more. I don't want to end up going to school and, and coming back with a pile of debt, so I could be making more money than, than, um, you know, than piling it up, so I think I'm going to come home and just start earning. So that's what uh-huh. he did. He, he came home and, and got into a number of jobs and, and uh, kind of careers, and then one day he came to me and said, well, by this time he was married and he had a child, and came to me and said, hey, Dad, I joined the Army. Of course, by then he was his own man, made his own decisions. I mean, that's what we do as parents, don't we? We want to raise our kids up to be, you know, productive members of society. And uh, he came to me and said, Dad... Wait, wait, wait. Um, What did he major in in college? What was he thinking he was going to be when he first went to college? When When he first went to college, he thought he was going to be a physical therapist because he was so interested in athletics. Mm. And that, that okay. as you know, is a very, very long road and, uh, yeah. and, and an expensive road. And I think that was just mm. something that he, was, he leaned towards but didn't really have his heart set on. So uh-huh. when, he, when, he, when he came home, he took sales-type jobs. Uh, for instance, uh-huh. he sold, you know, kind of as a cliché, he actually did sell Hoover vacuum cleaners and, <laughs> and became uh-huh. one of the be- best Hoover vacuum salesmen in the area, you know, uh-huh. because he was just so engaging with people. Yeah. But uh, 9-11 happened, and of course that affected so many of our men and women around that time, and uh, he decided mm-hmm. that he was going to join the Army and see if he could make a difference. And the only and how did you feel? Wait a minute. How did you feel when he came to you and said that, um, Dad, I joined, I, I joined? In other words, it was a fait accompli, right. not Dad, you think right. I should join the Army? <laughs> how did you right. feel? Right. As I said, he was his own man. He didn't ask me for his advice or his permission. So how did I feel? I'll tell you, Carol. The first thing I said to him was, are you crazy? I said, there's a war going there's a war going on. I said, you could get hurt. Uh-huh. And his response to me was, you know, Dad, I think I've got the skills to help make a difference. And the women and the children uh-huh. over, over in Iraq at that time need our support, and I'm going to go over and do what I can. And wow. uh, that, was, that was his answer to me. And all I could do was to give him a hug, tell him I was proud of him, and tell him to be careful. Uh-huh. And what year was this? This was in 03. This was in 2003 when he joined. Uh-huh. And so one of the things that I that I that it hit me in all of this Carol is that everyone of our everyone who's a parent. And I don't know if you're a parent or not, but everyone who's a parent um would rather somebody else's child die for their country rather than their own. That's just natural, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. before I lost him, I never gave any thought about any other soldiers, any other sailors, Marines, no other service member who had given their lives. I never gave it a second thought. I just lived under the freedoms that we all enjoy. And until he was gone... It didn't mean all that much to me. You know, freedom didn't have that same value. But 
I'll tell you, once he was gone, I became one of the greatest proponents for enjoying freedom and appreciating it. Because I say that every... There, and there are men and women who are giving their lives for their country so that your family doesn't have to. And the very least we can do is be appreciative. That's the very least we can do. It doesn't cost us anything. And that's why this mission became so important. So tell us about, well, wait, before we go on to the mission, um, I know this is the hard part, but tell us about his service and what happened. Sure, sure. So Tony was deployed in, uh, into Iraq in November of uh, 2005, the middle of November. He was on patrol with a Marine unit. He was in the Army, and he was in something called Psychological Operations, which is a three-man team that is assigned to the Army. And remember I told you he was a salesman uh, through and through. Well, this job function was the only job he wanted in the service, and this is what he went after. And this is a job where you're actually communicating with the other side and trying to get them to, you know, to, uh, you know, to surrender or to, you know, disengage in some way, uh, you know, mentally. Yeah. So that's why they call it psychological operations. And he wow, was that's on really patrol. interesting. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So he was on patrol yeah. with, with this Marine unit when uh, this was six weeks into his deployment when he was uh, shot, <clears throat> shot by a sniper. Uh, I don't mm. think that the, and it really was just a single shot that he was the only one uh, uh, injured or killed and uh, was one of those things where he was, you know, however you say it, in the right place at the right time or the right place at the wrong mm-hmm. time. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so that happened on December 29th of uh, 2005. And as you can imagine... And how were you... And what? I was going to say, as you can imagine, the Christmas season, it wasn't uh, the best news. Yes. Right. Well, I was going to ask you, so how was the news conveyed to you? So, as as you would hear, typically, um, I happened to be out in the back... I saw a, a van in the driveway, and I went went into the front door and uh, went to the front door and through the back and opened the door, and there were two uniformed soldiers standing at the door, very somber. And uh, you know, I knew at that moment that mm-hmm. something had happened, and I had hoped that it was something not as permanent. That maybe he was injured. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I immediately, you know, called for my wife who was getting ready for work upstairs, <clears throat> you know, to have her come down and, and uh, before I had them say anything. And of uh-huh. course, they delivered. They delivered those five very simple words: "We regret to inform you." Mm. And uh, you know, Carol, you know, it was the most devastating news any parent could ever imagine or receive. Yes, absolutely. Had you been um, communicating with him with letters and so on during the weeks that he was in the service? Uh, not with letters, but at that time there was, uh, you know, we had AOL Instant Messenger. And oh, yeah. We had, we had been communicating. His birthday was in the middle of that six-week deployment, so we did have a chance to talk a little bit, you know, electronically, by computer, and uh, he was a spiritual man, and one of the things he told me uh, on that last conversation was, uh, he said that he felt God had his back, so he told me, he said, Dad, God is literally my shield, so what can you say to that? Hmm. Wow. That is so, I mean, it's so beautiful, you know, that he felt that way. And it must, so when you, okay, so when you, um, knowing all this, um, did that make you, when, did his death 
make you question your faith? No, never. It never made me question my faith. It made me question how I hear and how I listen and, and, you know, basically why didn't I know or have a feeling or, you know, how come prayers didn't work at, the, you know, at that time because you pray for them when they go. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you realize later on that uh, God had another plan. And mm-hmm. you know, we, we could probably have a longer discussion about spirituality and eternity, but, you know, I just, at this point, God had a better, had a, had a different plan. And, and I think probably that plan was for me more than it was for him. Yes, for his death to spur you on to doing what you have been doing, founding the Honor and Remember uh, organization, which we will get into now um, after we take a break. That, that's, uh, I, I, I will want to ask you, um, you know, when you were saying listening better, it uh, makes me wonder, like, was there something that you thought that he was trying to say where he thought that the end was near? I mean, that doesn't sound like it with God has his back. Was there something right. else that he said? that? No, I think that what, what he was communicating with me was regardless of what happens, you know, it's in God's control. And, uh, uh-huh. and, he, wasn't, and he was not in fear of, of anything because of that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Well, we will need to take a break now, but when we come back, we'll continue talking with George Lutz, who is the founder of Honor and Remember, and he will tell you all about what that is. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest is George Lutz. He is the founder and CEO of a nonprofit organization called Honor and Remember. And um, this all started with the death of his son, Tony, as we just talked about. And um, George, when you were talking about your son, um, especially, you know, the latter part, um, I was getting chills. I mean, it's so, um, you know, obviously he was a very special boy and young man. And um, 
and and was going into it, you know, um, willing to make the sacrifice, which he ultimately made with his life. Um, but it was like, you know, it wasn't because his sales jobs sales jobs were uh, weren't working out so well. Right. And, that, and that's kind of amazing what you were talking about that they gave him the job and he wanted the job to be a, a salesman, so to speak. In the army, I didn't even know the army had those kinds of positions. Um, trying to get the sell the army into sell the army, sell the enemy into um, surrendering. It's good to know that we have that kind of thing. So, so okay, there you there you were, devastated that morning. Um, what did you do next? Well, the interesting thing is, I mean, that, that is news, as I said that that no family would ever want to hear, and what you do with that. I mean, uh, you know as a psychologist that, uh, psychiatrist, that uh, what, what happens when someone receives that kind of news. I mean, that grieving process is, uh, is you know, is devastating. And you're going through all of these, these uh, different gyrations and trying to understand uh, you know why, and, it's, and, and, and as a as a father, uh, you know we all try to fix things, and this is something you can't undo. You, there's there's no fix to this, so you try to uh-huh. grab a grab a hold of this with the best way you can, and you know devastating isn't a big enough word. You know personally, I went through a lot of processes, and and part of those that process was even wondering if I wanted to live myself. I mean, trying to decide what the future looks like, you know, because I realize that, I, that every there will be no new memories. Every memory, future memory of him now ended. You know, he would never mm-hmm. walk, walk through the door again. I would never hear his voice. And you begin to, to uh, be fearful because the last thing you want to do is to forget what he looked like or forget what he sounded like. And Uh one of the the things that I did in in my healing uh, process was I wanted to go out and meet other families who had lost loved ones. That was part of my, my thought process. I just need to go out and find out who else is going through this. to bring our nation to a point of remembrance. 
and what can I do to give something back to these families? And not just the Iraq and Afghanistan era families, but to every family in America who has ever lost a loved one in the history of our country. You know, as far back as to, you know, the beginning. Uh, those generations of family members are still with us. And they're grieving. And so this is why I thought that the best way of, of bringing this message forward was with a symbol. If I could create a symbol that would fly nationally and that you know, corporate America and individual households would fly uh, on their flagpoles that would send them one specific message to these families, we haven't forgotten. You know, we remember your sacrifice. And that became, my journey became uh, the mission of giving a gift, you know, a, a perpetual legacy uh, gift of remembrance. And so the Honor Remember flag on Memorial Day of 2008, just uh, almost three years after Tony died, uh, was unveiled publicly to the nation to become, you know, our national symbol. To me, uh, one of the most recognizable, or should be one of the most recognizable symbols in America, because freedom doesn't exist without the lives of those men and women who gave all so that uh, others don't have to. Uh-huh. So how did you do it? Where did it fly on the first time in 2008? Uh, the interesting thing is, uh, so without going through all the uh, processes of how it got to be a, you know, created to be a flag, of course you know that there's a lot of processing in, in order to even just to get to the point of making well, it, it had to happen. Why don't we, let, let's, not, let's not skip over that. Why don't we talk about that? Like, um, why don't you talk about the symbols on the flag, what the flag looks like? Sure, sure. Well, I knew that I wanted, I wanted there to be a national symbol, so then I had to figure out, well, what was it going to look like? I mean, I didn't just want to be a dad, you know, uh, who, you know, felt sorry for himself because he lost his boy and, you know, was trying to put some kind of, you know, second-rate thing together. I went in with the process of believing that I was going to create something that would be recognized and, in, and embraced as a national symbol. And so I did a lot of research into symbology and to what we mm-hmm. use as, you know, as icons um, that, we, that have to do with loss, that have to do with remembrance, that have to do with the, the military community. And so uh, if you get a chance to look at the flag, it has a red and white field. So, uh, yes, the red I, field. I've seen the flag. I've seen the flag. Okay. I tell it to people who can't see it right now. For the, list- yeah, for the listeners. So it has a red and white field. So the red field stands for the sacrifice of bloodshed for our country. It's American flag red. So to give you a visual, the, the white, the red's on the top. On the bottom is a white field, and that, that symbolizes the, the purity of their sacrifice. Because like my son, there are so many sons and daughters out there and husbands and wives and aunts and uncles who said to their family members, Hey, we know what we're doing. We've got it covered. We'll be back. That's the purity of that sacrifice. And then we uh-huh. talked about the Blue Star. So back in World War I, uh, they created something called uh, service banners. And those service banners were for the families of those who were out serving to hang in their door or their window to let the neighbors know and the public know that they had somebody who was out in the fight. So you would see a banner. Uh, it's a white banner with a red border and a blue star in the center. And there may be one star, two stars, three stars. For every star, there was a service member from that household who was out in the fight. And depending on their number of service members. This started in World War I. When one of those loved ones, or the only one that you had, uh, lost their lives, they would overlay a gold star on top of that blue star. And so those that were coming by your house would see that you had a gold star in your window. And you could have two or three stars, and one of them could be gold. 
So you might have had several family members, and one of them lost their life. This is where we originated the term blue star families and gold star families. And I know Uh that, that the term gold star has been out a lot more lately in the last several years. Sometimes we use it in uh, uh, talking about mothers, but every family member can be a gold star. There's gold star mothers, gold star fathers, gold star widows. Uh, so this is where you get the term gold star. So on our flag, we have a blue star in the center, and it is overlaid with that gold star. And then underneath those stars is a folded flag because we all recognize a flag that was taken off of the casket of a loved one and handed to that family at the memorial service. And mm-hmm. so there's a folded, folded flag on there. And then above that folded flag in the middle of the stars is uh, a set of flames, eternal flames. Because I realize that we use eternal flames to signify ongoing remembrance, perpetual remembrance. Mm-hmm. And so that is, those are, uh, flames are also in the center. And then the words on the flag, honor and remember. We will always honor their sacrifice and remember them individually by name. Because each one of those men and women were an individual. They're not a statistic. And they had family and friends and those that cared and loved, about, loved them. And they need to be recognized individually for their loss. But, Carol, the flag is not just in remembrance of those that are gone, because they're gone. Tony's gone. Those men and women are gone. They're not here with us. But those family members who are here with us are the ones that are going to be grieving for the rest of their lives. They're the ones that hold on to that notion of not being forgotten. And by the creation of this flag, and by the display and the flying of this flag, we send a message to families we don't even know, who may be coming by our business, who may be coming by our church, who may be coming by our home, and they see that, and they know that their loved one has not been forgotten. That's the power of what this flag is, and there's nothing like it in the nation that sends that very, very specific message but all of the public can fly or display to send that message. So how did you, um, how did you get the first flags or flags um, made? I mean, have you, what, what, what was your job before uh, you went on this quest? <laughs> oh, gosh, I've always been in uh, product development in my life. Uh, mm. I uh, did a lot of training, uh, videotapes, books, publishing type things. And uh, I was working in marketing at that time. And I just, I didn't have the the talent, really, I didn't think. And so I just started pulling people together and pulling elements together. And and, um, really the, the pieces fell into place. And realized that this was something that this nation needed. It, it actually filled a void. And, and the passion... Uh, you know, that's instilled in me to make it happen has just never waned in, in 12 years. So, uh-huh. you know, we, uh, so it, it, it took a lot of elements. I mean, obviously, I just went out and I took a design to flag makers in the country, U.S. flag makers, and said, hey, this is my idea. Can you make it yeah. into a flag? And, uh, yeah. and with a few tweaks, we were able to do that. And... Uh, of course, printing it on something is very easy. I mean, all you have to do is have a picture. But we have a benevolent side of our organization where we actually give handmade flags to families who have lost loved ones that are personalized with the name of their loved one and the day they died and, and where, they're, where they were. And we, on the benevolent side, these flags are all handmade and, uh, you know, costly to us, but they're a gift, also a gift to family. And we've presented almost 4,000 of these flags in the last uh, 10 years. Wow. So, and where does the money come from? From donations to your organization? 
It does. It comes from donations. It comes from events, uh, some events that we put together, but typically from donations from you know corporate and, and ind- individual. And uh, and we do sell flags too. Of course, the flags uh, anyone can buy an honor member flag. You know, if you just do a Google search, there are hundreds of of sellers out there. But we also sell flags, but it's mostly donation driven. So, what do you mean anybody can buy a? Um, who are these people that you could buy these flags from? Are these your flags or somebody else? What do you mean? No, they're the honor and remember flags that are that are. Uh, being made through other manufacturers. One of the one of the things that we wanted to make sure that we did was protect it. So we made sure that yeah. it could not be made anywhere but in the United States, because it is identifying, you know, U.S. casualties and their families. But then we licensed it out to other manufacturers around the country, so that I see. so that it would be out there uh, and available. You know, we didn't want to have that, uh-huh. that control. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. Well, the music is telling us we need to take another break. When we come back, I want to ask you um, about reactions that you have gotten, you know, from the beginning and now with the bills in Congress and all that. I mean, in a way, you think, um, well, how could anybody be against <laughs> an honor and remember flag or the... Um, the feelings, the, you know, the intentions behind all of this. But somehow I have a feeling that um, it wasn't all a bed of roses uh, getting to where you are now. So we will talk about that when we come back. My guest, um, again, um, is George Lutz, the founder and CEO of Honor and Remember. So stay tuned. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking with George Lutz. He is the CEO and founder of Honor and Remember, um, spurred on by the death of his son, Tony, who died in the Army in service to our country. Um, And now uh, I'd like to ask you about some of the difficulties that you've had along this road. You you designed the flag, you got the flag made, um, and then tell us about, uh, I mean, the first thing that you did, presumably, was to arrange for its flying um, and an inauguration, having the flag fly. So how did that come about? Yeah. 
Sure. Um, well, I mean, I'm just going to back you up just a little bit because uh, before I started it all, I had to just come up with the idea of it. And I thought that I would just float this idea around because to me it was, you know, like one of the greatest things I could imagine. You know, one of the newest, most important things we could do in the country. And I thought, all I have to do is give this idea to somebody and they're just going to run with it. You know, because mm-hmm. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. So I, I called up one of my co- local congressmen and said, hey, I've got this great idea. I think we ought to have this flag of rem- national flag of remembrance. We don't have one. And I think it would be important. You know, and you know, about two months later, you know, I got this kind of reject letter, if you will, saying, oh, we yeah, asked around. Yeah. We asked around, and people don't really think it's necessary. And I went, <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> so I kind of got discouraged for about a month or so, and then, you know, kind of had that quiet conversation with God and decided that, uh, you know what, it need, if, if it needed to be done and it was important enough, then I had then I had to be the one to do it. And that's not being prideful. It's just that, you know, it was like one of those kind of internal nudges that just said, you just, you just have to do it. It's, it's, it's needed. And so going through the processes of, of, you know, getting it to a flag stage. And the weekend of the Memorial Day in 08, I had uh, had some flags made. I had a ceremony that was being uh, organized at, uh, at a memorial site in, in Norfolk. And right before that, the day before, I went to another little ceremony at a, at a statue where there was a, n- a number of veterans there who were, who were conducting a, uh, kind of a quiet ceremony. And I, I shared with them the flag and they were just got so excited about it and just wanted to be a part of it. And then on my way home, I stopped by my American Legion hall, and I thought, oh, I'm just going to stop by the American Legion. They're probably not going to like it. But I, I, had, I, just, I felt compelled to get one more, you know, kind of critic. And I stopped yeah. in there. I stopped in there, and it just so happens that there was an elderly guy who was, uh, a veteran who was putting a putting flag up on the flagpole outside, and I shared with him what I was doing, and he said, oh, my gosh, he said, that is so wonderful. He said, we want to put that flag up right now. And I, huh. said, well, I, haven't, I said, I haven't even unveiled it yet. And he said, no, we want to be the very first post in America mm-hmm. to, to fly this flag. <laughs> and, so, and so I gave him one of the flags that I, that I had. And, and sure enough, they put it up there, and they have been flying it ever since. So, oh, ever, wow. since, so ever since that, uh, the next day was, was our launching, so to speak, our unveiling. And then it just became uh, kind of a mission, uh, Carol, to just start educating people and to, to uh, showing them the flag and, and asking them if it was important to them and getting them to put it up. And that was in 2008. That year, we had our first bill in Congress because the Congresswoman was at my ceremony when we unveiled it. So we had our first bill in Congress that year. Then the next year, we had our second bill in Congress. Then we had our third bill in Congress. So this was 08, then in 2010, and then in, uh, let's see, 20, it would have been uh, 2009-2010, and we had our third bill in Congress, 11 and 12, and I actually moved to Washington, and for two months, I, you know, you were asking about the work, I, for two months I had meetings, and I'm not a lobbyist, I'm just this dad with, a, with an idea, and uh, for two months, every day, 10 hours a day, I had meetings on Capitol Hill trying to get this flag adopted as a national symbol, and at the end of that time, I, at the end of that time, I had 156 co-sponsors. Uh, when I left Washington, I couldn't stay up there, you know, for a couple of months, and then, um, and then it died. Nothing happened. 
And so I got oh, wait, what were the, wait, wait, what were the bills? Wait a second, what were the bills for? What, yeah. what, what were, did they say and did they... Yeah, the bills were to uh, designate the Honor and Remember flag as our national symbol of remembrance. That's, and and, and did they pass? Did they, did they pass? No, it didn't even get in the committee. It just did nothing. With all that, all those co-sponsors, it just did nothing. So I got, I got very disillusioned with Congress. And I decided that I was going to have this become a grassroots uh, mission. And that I wasn't going to worry about Capitol Hill. I was going to ask individuals in their own home state to get, and my, my state is Virginia, and uh, my governor actually, in 2010, made this the official legislated state symbol of remembrance in the state of Virginia. And I thought, okay. well, if one state can, so I thought if one state can do it, why not all 50 states? And if I, could right. get all the, if I could get all the states to do it, then why would we need the federal government? You know, we, we right. worry about them later. So, right. uh, so individuals, uh, you know, not, not our group, because, again, we're not lobbyists and spend no money on lobbying, but individuals, Gold Star families and patriots in different states would go to their legislators and say, hey, this has happened here, this flag is important, we would like for you to do it in our state. And so this is how this has kind of trickled along and, and built to where now we are, this year we, we acquired two more states, the state of Georgia and the state of Florida, which now put us over half the country. So now with 26 state official legislated state adoptions, we thought that now is a good time to go back to Washington and say, hey guys, half the country already accepts this as our, as our symbol of remembrance. We need to do this on a federal level. And uh-huh. so, we, so we now have a bill again in the House, and for the first time we have a bill in the Senate, which we never had before. So we're closer than ever to having this flag recognized as our national symbol of remembrance. And it has been, it has been as you can see, 12 years later, you know, a, a, an ongoing uh, push and, and uh, education as, as to why this is, this is important. Remember when I said earlier when we started that when Tony came to me and, and said he joined the Army, I told him he was crazy because everyone would rather somebody else's child die for their country rather than their own. Well, with the creation of the Honor and Member flag, I have given America a way to express their appreciation for the sacrifice that was given for them so that their loved ones didn't have to make it. It's the only way in America that I know, the only public way, you know, that's global. I'm not talking about individual ways that we give thanks, but the only global public way that we can send a message and appreciate all that we have. Well, I must say, you have done an amazing, amazing job with this. Um, Obviously, a labor of love. Um, You also do, uh, we're we're getting near the end of our time, but I just wanted to mention that you also do runs, and what you had said before about Tony, um, you know, liking to, or running, you know, having experience running, I'm sure that that's part of at least why you thought about doing that. So run for the fallen, and then... And then you also uh, have a petition on your website. Why don't you tell people the website? Yes, it's just honorandremember.org, just like the organization, honorandremember.org. We have chapters, Carol, in 15 states that are working to uh, bring healing and comfort to the families in their states with these personalized flags and with the runs. We have events. We do banquets. You know, just to bring the families together and get them to meet one another and to share stories. Uh, 
things we're doing on an ongoing basis. Hmm, that's I would, amazing. I would just ask you know, those um, that are listening to uh, you know visit the website and to you know if they have a flagpole or even if they don't you know to get a flag and to display it you know publicly so that uh, families can see uh, and and feel that appreciation. You know, um, also, uh, who you said that I mean you you. You're, you have already been giving out 4,000 flags to families who have lost loved ones um, in war. And um, you mentioned that they were handmade. So yeah. who were the little sewers sitting in your basement? <laughs> well, there are flag manufacturers in this country, and I've kind of tapped into every one that are U.S. flag makers, and there's not a lot of them. There's really only a handful. I can literally make a hand-sewn flag, and and so we're not in the business of making flags. So we sought out professionals, you know, who can make the, uh-huh. these flags are just amazingly beautiful. And uh, and you have the name. You put the name of the fallen soldier um, on the flag as you present yeah. it or before you present it. Yes, and and there's pictures of that on our website as well. Uh, of many, many, many of the flag presentations that we make. We make one on the average of every single day. Yeah. We have almost a 1,000 on a waiting list, Carol, because uh, we don't have the resources to get to them all. So it, it's a sliding scale of, of waiting for these families. Well, again, the um, website is www.honorandremember.org. And I'd like to thank you so much, George Lutz, for sharing the story of your son, Tony, and of your own quest and your incredible success in, um, in, in making sure that there is a way to not only remember the veterans who are still alive, um, but also to not forget the ones who have died. So thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 